So we can try this, but if people try to call me and text me and stuff, it might get knocked out. I don't know if people will, but it's a busy night, so we can try. Welcome to 31 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Sierra AT4. Podcast is a misnomer, Elliot Friedman. It's another 31 Thoughts, the podcast, car cast. As you're making your way from the CBC studios back home, after the Montreal Canadiens knock off the Toronto Maple Leafs 2-1, to one, take a one nothing lead in their best-of-seven series. But that's only part of the story coming out of the Toronto-Montreal game. Uh, the bigger story is uh, the health of John Tavares. I'm watching in my office at home, and my gut is turning and just wrenching, uh, watching that as it happened, yep. and then... What made it even worse is how everything was silent. And the first thing that dawned on me was it didn't matter that there weren't any fans there at that moment because the whole rink would have been silent anyway for each. Well, that's exactly what Sheldon Keefe said was that. I've, I've experienced a lot of different things, a lot of uh, tough injuries and stuff like that in, in, in my time as a player and as a coach. But uh, in an empty building like that, that was probably the most uncomfortable situation that I've been a part of on the ice. So. It was uh, really tough to get through. Our players were, were rattled and concerned. I was obviously very concerned as well. Happy to hear that you know things are, are settling down and, and all of that. But uh, it was a very tough moment. Um, we had ample time to to settle and regroup. I thought it took us took us quite a bit of time to really kind of find ourselves after that. But yeah, it's a, it's a difficult situation for everyone, and I'm sure that would include Montreal. You remember they went through this last year, too, with Jake Muzzin, right? Yes, yeah. So it's a similar kind of thing. Muzzin got hurt, and it you know, it turned out, thankfully, he was okay. But again, it happened in an empty building. It's very weird. It, it, it certainly adds a, another level of strangeness to it. The good news is that we got the best possible information after the game, that he was conscious, communicating well, uh, that the initial test had come back clear, uh, that was the terminology that Sheldon Keefe used. Tavares was going to stay overnight in hospital. But, you know, we're watching it in the Lotus. Yeah. And Kevin's obviously in California and Kelly's in Calgary. But it was Ron and, and Jennifer Botterill and Anthony and David and myself. And it, it just went silent. Initially, you're almost kind of wondering what happened. And then you see the replays. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're just wondering how they're going to continue to play after that. You can see the look on Matthew's face. You could see the concern on the Canadians, you know, Perry skating over, you know, him and Tavares. I don't know how many people know this, but they have a very good friendship. Like they've, mm-hmm. there's a history there. They've played together on national teams together. Both London Knights. Both London Knights. And, you know, Jeff, I think if you can imagine the emotion of us watching it on TV, you're thinking about how are these guys going to play? Yeah, and that's the first thing that I thought of. And watching that uh, that Maple Leafs team, um, and again, full credit to the Montreal Canadiens. That was a heck of a performance by that team. A great streak at the end by Paul Byron. A really good game by Carey Price. But I'm, I'm watching that first period after the John Tavares injury, and I'm saying to myself, Going through every player's mind and probably the coaching staff as well is we just need to get through this period right now and get back in the room. I can't imagine playing the rest of that period. I agree. Kyle Bukoskis did a great interview with um, 
with Wayne Simmons, where Simmons talked about it. I thought it was, I thought Simmons was excellent, as you would expect, as somebody who's got a tremendous elder statesman reputation. Um, I just saw Johnny go down, and my first initial reaction was to hop on the ice and go see if he was okay. Um, you know, it was a pretty scary sight. Uh, I think the boys are a little shook up. We got to do. Um, you know, we, we need to take this time to regroup in the dressing room and uh, you know come back for a second. Yeah, and certainly it's never something that you think of or prepare for having to go through in the middle of a game. How do you go about resetting here for the final two periods? Um, I'm sure a few guys will have some words in the dressing room. We just got to calm down and relax, and um, you know, I'll find out Johnny's okay. I think when he went off there. Um, Obviously, he's a little bit out of sorts, so, um, you know, it's on us. You know, we, we got to get this one for Johnny. You know, I wonder, actually, Jeff, if it's going to be harder for the Toronto players between games one and two. At least in game one, the game resumes. There's a task at hand. You have something you have to work towards, which is to try to win the game. Now, you know, you have two days off. Um, your captain's not there. Your friend and your teammate's not there. You know, I, I just wonder, you've got to almost, I don't know if relive it's the right word, but you, you've got to kind of face it. In the moment, you can kind of put it aside, but now you have to realize that, okay, he's not here. We're down one nothing. We have to do this without him. Um, he could be out for a while. We don't know, but... I guess maybe the enormity of the task steps in that, you know, you think you have a year where you can be really successful and all of a sudden now this huge piece of your team, both mm -hmm. as a player and a person, isn't going to be there. I, I wonder if that challenge is going to be a big one for them too. This one is huge. Make no mistake about it for the Toronto Maple Leafs here because, you know, there's no obvious replacement of someone that steps in and can do the things that John Tavares does on that line. They just don't have it. This is going to be a tough one. This is a tough one for the Maple Leafs. And, you know, we've seen before, pick a team, pick an event, you know, Stanley Cup playoffs where a player gets injured and the team rallies around it. Like one of the things that I wondered about, if this was a younger Maple Leafs team, like if this is a team from a couple of years ago for each, the team probably, and again, there's no way to prove this, but my own thought is the team probably would have crumbled immediately. But this one didn't. And you mentioned Wayne Simmons, and you can mention the other veterans that are in that lineup as well. Sure, they didn't win. Montreal won the game. But I wonder if uh, an even younger Maple Leafs team, after that happens, just completely crumbles and the game gets out of hand. You know, I thought they played pretty hard. Price was incredible. The penalty kill was incredible. You know, I, I got to tell you, I'm supposed to be this smart hockey insider, Jeff. I don't understand why Toronto's power play is as bad as it is. You're not the only one. Yeah. The one thing I'm looking at, though, is I, I look at that first unit and, you know, Matthews, I thought he had some great chances. Yep. I just don't think anyone else in that unit is scaring anyone right now. They're not afraid of anyone's shot aside from his. The salt on the wound mentioning the power play is that it's a shorthanded game winning goal. Yeah, like, like, like not only is the power play not firing for the Toronto Maple Leafs, but the game winner's shorthanded. And give Paul Byron an inch and he's gone. 
And that was on full display. What did you think about the fight? I wonder if Polino's going right out Carey, and I think yep. Carey's uh, the gloves yeah. are ready. Are ready to come off as the puck is dropped, and here we go. I had no problem with it, and here's why I didn't have a problem with it. Because there are some moments in sports that are led by your head, and there are some moments in sports that are led by your heart, and there are some moments in sports that you can't rationalize. And it's taken me a long time to get to that position where I'm comfortable saying it. It doesn't make sense that, like, from a mental point, like processing everything that happened, it is an accident. I understand that, but to hear Nick Foligno afterwards and talk about his captain on the ice, captain on the ice, captain on the ice, and that has to be the reaction. No captain's laying on the ice. Uh, it's nothing more than that. I think Perry obliged and. You know, it's uh, it's unfortunate. I don't think it's it's malicious, but my captain's laying on the ice. Our captain. I mean, that's that's you don't want to see that, and and I think it just addresses the situation. And everyone moves on from it. That is where sports just leads you by the heart. And if you try to make sense of it, and if you try to understand it using your brain, you're just going to be frustrated and say that makes no sense. But sports is led by one of two things: your head or your heart. And that was a moment where I looked at it and I said, as much as it doesn't make sense, I understand why Nick Foligno did that. What about you? Well, we were in the room and I don't know specific reactions because I sit in the front, but I know there was a general feeling of, oh, really? Like we just, we didn't want to see a fight in that moment. And I, I think there were a few fans like that. You know, I don't really check social media in those moments because I think A, it goes crazy and B, I think, some people are honestly it's, it's performance art for some people sure. so i don't always think it's honest but i you know i there were some fans that actually sent me dms saying how much they hated it and they were very passionate in their feelings like i do agree in the moment that the last thing i wanted to see was a fight the one thing that i agree with with you is you know we're emotionally invested but we're not emotionally invested at the level the players are so I understand that Felino might have been a little bit, you're right, more from the heart than the head. The other thing I kind of wondered, and I, I, re I realized I could be totally overthinking this, but I did say it in the room to the group, is that I wondered if part of it was, if we do this, will everybody's mind get back on the game again? Like to just make it end so there's no idea of anyone chasing Corey Perry all over the ice? Yes, I did wonder that. And, like, again, I could be overthinking it, but it, I'm trying to think about how I would be acting in that moment yeah. if I was in Nick Foligno's shoes. And, you know, Shea Weber came over to try to tell him not to do it, and his, he said he did it. I thought it was interesting he said in his postgame, this isn't about the code. Because it would seem to me that that was very much about the code. He said no code. But part of me was wondering if it was just like, let's do something to get everybody's mind back on the game again. But in the moment, I understood people who said they didn't want to see it because I didn't want to see it either. There are a couple of things there too. One, rightly or wrongly, whether he thought it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, Corey Perry obliged. 
So that's why I don't I don't believe that there, this isn't that isn't due to some code, which, by the way, no one really has a firm idea on. But you sort of recognize it when it happens like, hey, can you describe jazz? No, but I know it when I hear it. That's kind of what that moment was. And as much as Corey Perry, and you can see him talking to Felino and Felino saying, look, we're going to do this. And Perry's saying, like, dude, it's an accident. And he's like, no, we're going to do it. I was like, OK, I guess this is the way we do things. And then the other part of me, too, wonders if it's not Corey Perry. If it's someone else from the Montreal Canadiens, does Nick Foligno have that exact same reaction? Judging from what he said, I think the answer is yes. But I think everybody realizes that play was an accident. Yes. Like, I, I don't think, I can't imagine anybody thinks that was on purpose. That was a total accident. No. The, the way that that happened so quickly and Corey Perry didn't change, change where he was skating to, to take a shot at the, the Maple Leafs captain, to me, that's just an accident all day long. I've got to tell you, so the, the just in the aftermath of the game, to make this a bit more lighthearted, the funniest text I got okay. <laughs> was from a, a, a friend who said, do you think that Carey Price's whole stick-breaking thing and game against the Marlies was a setup? <laughs> so hang on, which pro wrestler sent you that? <laughs> <laughs> I only know one. It's Edge. <laughs> well, he would have been wa- he would have been watching. As I said, I said, wait a sec. So you're telling me they sent him down to the American Hockey League. He gives up a couple of goals early, and then he throws that temper tantrum in practice, yeah. and it was all to set up the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this person says to me, "Yes." <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but I do appreciate that style of thinking. To go through that stre- that stretch of charade to make the Maple Leafs overly confident or uh, or, or doubt Carey Price, I if that is true, I, I do admire it, but I don't think that's true for one second. Yeah, I thought that that would give you a level the idea of the level of the paranoia among Toronto fans. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a long two days for them. It's gonna long be a tough two days for the Maple Leafs and their fans. Okay, uh, other news from around the NHL. Oh, by the way, do you remember on Sunday about a million years ago when we said we're gonna get to know the name Ryan Lomberg pretty quickly here, aren't we? You know, and that was game one, and that and that was when he was trying to fight Sergachev about eight times. Well, he scored the OT winner on Thursday night. The Toronto tips it ahead. You know, this is a guy that's his first ever career playoff point, just his third career playoff game. You know Todd Woodcroft, right? And yes. uh, formerly of the Winnipeg Jets, and now he's the yeah. head coach at the University of Vermont. Todd Woodcroft is the face-off guru. Um, whenever I have a question about face-offs, I always ask him because he's as detailed a guy as I know when it comes to face-offs. And I sent him a text message after that, goal on in game three on Thursday and I said I could only imagine your reaction when you saw that goal and he was like thing of beauty and I'm looking at that (laughs) and you know what it reminded me of it kind of reminded me of remember Merrick Malik's shootout goal of course we did the Statue of Liberty celebration going by the bench yeah so you have a guy who comes kind of out of nowhere and scores this beautiful goal, and everybody's like, what? 
like Ryan Lomberg, <laughs> and I'm not trying to insult him in any way, shape, or form. They drew up a perfect face-off play. Mm-hmm. He executed it perfectly. He got the flip pass perfectly, and he a beautiful move. And you know he's not a guy who's got a long NHL resume. Calgary and Florida. You look at how his road to the NHL, different USHL stops, University of Maine, minor leagues, yeah. finds a role. Like Jeff, he like you would have thought that he was a fifty goal scorer. The way he executed that play, all credit to him. It was beautiful. And the shot itself, and this underscores something beautiful. that we've talked we've talked about a couple of different times on the podcast. You know that guy that everybody makes fun of on the internet, on hockey media, who says that guy doesn't belong in the NHL, that guy's quote-unquote no good, that guy can't play. The fact that you're in the NHL, yes, the guy that you make fun of that shouldn't be in the league, you know how good that guy is? Yes. You know how good, you know you good that player is? NHL, you're oh. elite. One game in the NHL, elite. It is the best league in the world. These are the highest skilled games anywhere. And you're in it. You are a good hockey player. A couple of things there. Lomberg and the, uh, in the overtime. Yeah. Um, the other, Quinville using a five forward power play in that as well. Loved it. Well, new school thinking too, right? Especially with Yandel out of the lineup. It, yeah. it made a lot more sense. You know, I got to tell you, they go back to Bobrovsky. You think they're dead? You know who I? You know who's kind of been off to a bit of a rough start in the playoffs is Vasilevsky. Yeah, it kind of gets covered up because Florida's sort of trying to figure out who their guy is here. Mm-hmm. But he's given up a lot more than we're used we're used to seeing. I assume he shuts the door at some point here, but Florida's scoring on him. They are. Don't forget, Florida's a good team here. Uh, a couple things That's around the NHL. Are. This this is going to be, a, we should mention, this is going to be a pretty quickie podcast here. Um, we want to get something out to you for Friday. Columbus, uh, John Davidson returns, and Jarmo Kekalainen gets an extension. Uh, let's start with JD first. Uh, surprised? Um, and why did they make this move? Well, yes and no. I'm surprised because... And first of all, good scoop, Brian Hedger. Yes. I'm surprised because I didn't think of it, but I'm not surprised when I heard it. The best reaction I got was the biggest winner in this is Kekalainen because now he has to talk to the media less, which I thought was a good reaction. Um, <laughs> so hang on. So does that indicate there's going to be big changes and they need someone to get out in front of the media? Well, I, I think that's a part of it. Look, 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 Columbus's image has taken a little bit of a beating this year, right? Yes. Dubois leaving. Patrick Lyonnais situation. There's stress there, right? And Davis is an excellent salesman. Like when when Hedger broke the story, like the reaction, I checked the reaction from the Blue Jackets fans on social media. They were thrilled. So you, you have a, a guy who the market likes and he's a salesman. They're going to come up with a plan. Look. What do we think is going to happen here? We think that the most likely outcome is Seth Jones tells the Blue Jackets he's not ready to commit at this time, right? Yes. Now, I don't know that, but I think that's the most likely outcome. So you you have to work your way around that. Davidson can help you sell that. You're wondering about Zach Wierenski's longtime future. 
Davidson can help you sell the message. You have a bit of reimagination you have to do of yourself. He can help you sell that. You know, initially I wondered, is that good for Kekalainen? People told me they are really tight, thick as thieves, good friends, like each other, and he gets the extension. But I, I think what this is is they know that, you know, they're going through a challenge. They need to sell their message. And in that market, they will trust his message. I was surprised. I'll be I'll be blunt. I was surprised to see Davidson go back to Columbus. But all of it makes sense if you're going to be an organization that might have to change some of the faces. And if you're going to go through a transition phase, it's probably not the worst idea to have someone like John Davidson, at least in the short term, become one of the faces of the franchise. You know, someone someone gave to me the old adage, okay? If you really like someone and they leave you for someone prettier or more famous and then they come back to you, do you say yes or do you say no? Okay. Mm -hmm. And my reaction to that was the heart wants what the heart wants, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, the impression we got is Columbus wouldn't make that move unless it was John Davidson. Other than that, they weren't doing this kind of front office ad. So that says to me that you've got a guy who wants to be there and a market that wants him. And, you know, the market needs him now. The Blue Jackets need what he can bring, his skill in delivering the message to the masses. Put it this way. I had to ask out my wife like 20 times before she said yes to me. So you got to be persistent. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of begging, Elliot. Has there been a lot of begging in this relationship over how many years? Yes. Yes. Please don't leave me. <laughs> What's happening with the Vancouver Canucks now that their season is officially done? Well, Travis Green and Jim Benning are supposed to meet with the media on Friday. I believe what the ownership there has been doing is saying, you know, 10 years ago, all the Vancouver Canucks were taking less money to stay. They had a great reputation for taking care of their players. Yep. There was a sense of community and, you know, it was a destination. I said this on Vancouver Radio on Thursday. Other teams would tell me to shut up about the Vancouver Canucks already. Like during my media, during my years <laughs> at hockey night, they would be like, how many times were you told enough with the stories about the sleep doctors in Vancouver? Well, we actually did a story once. I did it. Um, I wore the watch for, a week. I remember that's why I asked. And it was a week. Yeah. It was a week where my week was really busy. Cause you do the blog and then we had a Thursday night game in Montreal. And first thing Friday, I flew all the way across the country from Montreal to Vancouver for a game there on Saturday night. And we interviewed the doctor and everything. It was a good piece. I really liked it. But I remember when it aired in the middle of it, <laughs> someone called me and said, your stories about the Canucks are nauseating. It's like they invented <laughs> everything. Would you shut up about this team? But that was the reputation they had. But with, honestly, with Gillis and, and Gilman, that was the reputation they had around the NHL. They've lost that. 
that doesn't exist anymore. So what I think they've been doing is they've been talking to people, and so I think that's why they met with the Sedins. I do think they did ask the Cortinal brothers about it, but things like about, and others, about how did we lose this and how did we get it back? And, you know, I, I think that's kind of where we are. And so they met on Monday. I heard ownership had a very honest meeting. And then from what I understand, on Monday night, Jim Benning was told he's coming back. And I think there was a lot of question about Travis Green. And I believe they grinded away on Thursday to get him an extension. And I suspect they'll line up. Benning has two years left and Green will get two years. Mm -hmm. I don't know as we tape this what the story is with the rest of the coaching staff. But, you know, I'm expecting that they're going to announce that Benning and Green are coming back. I'm waiting for clarity on the Sedins and what their role is going to be. Someone said they compared it to Mike Greer with the Rangers. I don't think they're going to be just there as figureheads. I think they're going to have juice. I wouldn't be surprised if they're brought in to talk to players about, you know, what needs to happen here. Um, But... Ah, got a phone call. Yeah. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Now, back to our program. Oh, by the way, Jeff, if it sounds different now, I'm out of the car and I'm on my driveway. Ooh, and um, the driveway edition of 31 Thoughts Podcast. <laughs> we, are now, we are now in the driveway. <laughs> Pretty soon my neighbors are going to be like, what is that idiot doing? Um, so I think they're going to have a role where they have some say. I don't think they're going to be figureheads, but I'm not sure how the structure of all of this is going to work. I think that's the kind of thing we're kind of waiting here is an explanation is about how this is all going to be structured. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the other thing with Vancouver is... I do think there's going to be some conversations there with some of their players about their futures. I think there could be a couple of guys who might ask to go. And I think the bigger question is going to be, do the Canucks just say, okay, or do they say this was a crazy year and we're going to try to fix it. And how can we fix it? By and large, again, all players are different, but do you have an old, a general feeling about how players felt they were treated this year? I want to get to Ian Clark here in a sec, but we'll focus on the players quick. You know, I just think it was a a nightmare year for a lot of reasons. It goes back to what we were just talking about. The Canucks had a way about them that they treated people really well. And like, you know, you you know how lovingly BXA talks about them, right? Oh God, yeah. So how do you get back to that? How do you do that? And I just think this year when they had their outbreak and Green was not well and he was kind of down for the count, Like, I think managing a team, there's two things. It's finding players, and it's taking care of your current players. Mm -hmm. And they felt that slipped. So you have to figure out, how do we get back to that? The goalie coach. uh, The goalie goalie whisperer. um, He makes superstars. See Bobrovsky. See Markstrom. See Demko. Do we see Ian Clark returning? You know, the, the people I know who kind of are in on the coaching goss have said no. But I do think that like Green, they were making a press to try to keep him. And one of the things we've learned in Vancouver is, you know, things change pretty quickly. I also think in Vancouver, like the social media scene is so hot that so many stories take a life of their own. Yeah. And you have to be very careful that what you're dealing with is grounded in reality. 
you know, like for example, like I have a, I have a, a good, uh, I have a couple of good friends who live out, still live out in Vancouver. And so on Tuesday afternoon, I'm on in the intermissions with Anthony and Dave during their regional game. And I said, look, there's a report that the Sedins are coming in. I believe it's true. And Dave, I think asked me about Jim Benning. I said, look, I'm not comfortable making any predictions. And he's like, why are you being so, he calls me, he calls me the moment I get off the set, this guy. And he says, he says, why are you being so wimpy? Like everybody here, it's all over Twitter. We know Benning's gone. And I'm like, I'm not so sure about that. Hmm. And then later on that night, we talked about how we'd heard Benning was told he was coming back. So I think most coaches seem to believe that Clark had decided he was going to go. But I do think that the Canucks were planning on making another attempt to see if they could make it work. And we just learned this week, never assume anything when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. Okay, quickly, to uh, to finish up the car cast, which is now turned into the driveway cast, uh, Calgary Flames, their season is done, did not go the way they hoped or planned. So the question becomes, what's next? You know, I thought the most interesting thing that came out of it was Johnny Goudreau. I mean, yeah, if, uh, you know, Tree and the owners and uh, are happy with the way I've, I've, uh, I've played here in the past six, seven years, uh, and... Uh, it's something we can, uh, you know, figure out this uh, upcoming summer, and I, I would love to do that. I, I love the city of Calgary. I, I love playing here. I don't think I've ever not once said I wouldn't, haven't wanted to be here. Um, you know, the guys in the locker room are great in there, and uh, I've always enjoyed my time here. So if that's something that be here, um, you know, the guys in the locker room are great in there, and uh, I've always enjoyed my time here. So if that's something that, um, you know. It comes up this summer. It's something that uh, you know I'd be uh, very willing to do and and try to get done. And he's not a really emphatic guy. As far as he goes, that was pretty interesting. Like he put it out there. Yeah. Like that wasn't a oh yeah I'd love to stay, but this is a business. You never know what could happen, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He that was more than that. Like, do you think I'm wrong? Like. No. Well, that's what he said. And it was said without all the normal caveats and escape phrases that allow a player to look back and say, well, they didn't actually say I was going to stay or wanted to stay definitively. I still gave myself some weasel words that allowed me out. To me, that wasn't a normal mealy mouthed half commitment. Mm -hmm. I thought that was pretty legit. So, you know, first of all, I wanted to send my best to Dylan Dubé, just yeah. Or our oh, best at Dylan geez, man. really sucks. He was going to the world. He was obviously very excited to go. And you hate to see somebody get hurt uh, at any time, but especially in games like those ones. And, you know, the only good news is that it's the summer now and hopefully he gets his time to recover. You know, the other thing, I, 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 too, that really stood out about that for me is you were asking me what I thought about Paul Stasny in the last podcast. And we talked about how he's very honest and how he can explain the game. Hmm. You know who's like that too, doesn't get enough credit for it? Milan Lucic. If you listen to Lucic in the exit interview, he was very thoughtful. And Lucic has always been good at explaining things and explaining how he feels. The only issues we ever had with Lucic in interviews was that he went on for a long time. And whenever we knew we were going to talk to him, we were like, we always had to budget extra time because he was a good talker. But he, when he wants to explain things, he's really good. 
Okay, so last week we established that uh, Paul Stastny could have our jobs if he wanted, <laughs> and now we're adding Milan Lucic to that list as well when he wraps up the career. So excellent, Elliot. <laughs> we're, his NHL is ready to uh, to take our gig. Okay, so there you go. There's our quickie Elliot Friedman car cast. Um, taking us out, he's a songwriter, bass player from the Strumbellas, also started a solo project as well. Daryl James, performing under the stage name Close Kicks, has won numerous awards and co-written songs with a number of critically acclaimed artists. From his latest project, here's Close Kicks with The House We Built on 31 Thoughts, the podcast. It's more than these four walls. It's more than just bricks and paint. It's more than just diamond rings and championship parades. Cause everybody's got a little glory and all of those highlights fade. What we got here between us, nobody can take away. This is our hope, this is our strength. Sticking down, you shooting out the lights Cause everybody's got a little glory And all those highlights fade You gotta grab the headline story If you wanna see the Hall of Fame